Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. Thank you, Dick Warren, and thank you, dear listener, for joining us for another exciting edition of The Coaching Show. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, because you have to say it that way. Today with uh, a, a super, super special guest star, not only an extraordinary coach in his own right, but... Um, a recent refugee from Florida, <laughs> where he was, what were you trapped? That's the the dulcet tones of Craig Cassie joining us today. Hello, sir. Hello. I was I was stranded. I was abandoned by American Airlines. So what was a magical vacation for three days turned into a test of my mindfulness and my patience and my willingness to surrender to life's design uh, at the airport hotel. <laughs> at the airport. Maybe I'm just stoned at the nail salon, or maybe I'm stuck at the airport hotel. Let's uh, let's talk about this. So you you went down for a magical vacation in where? Oh, Walt Disney World. It was a uh, I take the last week off every month, and my partner surprise gifted me a trip to Disney World. So found out Thursday morning. I was hopping on a plane by noon, and by you know Thursday night, we were already there. That is uh, so extra points to your sweetheart. Amazing. Nice job. And their their timing was impeccable. So then you enjoyed what three days of of fun and frolic on the in that one of the happiest places on Easily. earth. Fun, children. <laughs> yeah, lots of humans. And then and then you get ready to go. And what happens? Uh, they delay our flight. We find out that 1000 flights are canceled. And our optimism, we go to the airport as one does because we assume it will be safe. And then we're found out that we have no flight for three days. So <laughs> my partner and I take our five minutes to process our emotions. I go on angry cardio walks. I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling kind of pissed off, it helps to move my body. So I stormed around the airport with some sunglasses on so people would not be offended by my face. And then we just made the best of it. We got face masks and spa materials, got a nice hotel room, and just really treated ourselves as best as we could for being in Orlando uh, in the Hyatt Hotel for the night. Now, I noticed that you did not go back to the happiest place on earth. You did not go back to expand on your Disney experience. No, that was, we were sufficiently fulfilled after <laughs> doing three parks in two days all day long. Um, but, you know, the beauty of the internet is, at least during COVID, I don't know what your social circles were like, but I met a lot of new friends on Twitter and just, you know, posting coaching content, talking about life online. Turns out a lot of them live in Orlando. So I, you know, lit the signal flares, posted on Twitter that I'm stuck in Orlando, who's around to hang out, and out of the woodwork came <laughs> a couple dozen people. So we end up just traveling around, playing darts, shooting pool, grabbing dinners and margaritas. So... It was not bad. It's nice to meet internet friends in real life. Wow. There's so much wrong with that sentence for me because I, uh, I don't enjoy the people. I don't like the posting and, uh, you know, meeting strangers, staying in airport hotels. There's just a lot. I'm, I'm learning how insular and set in my ways I am. Thank you so much. All right. By the way, if people do want to become your internet friends, how do they find you? Where are you? Definitely. You can find me on Instagram where I post daily about relationships and coaching. Uh, the handle is at Craig, C-R-A-I-G, 
Cassie, C-A-S-S-E-Y Jr., J-R. Or you can find me on my website, craigcassie.com, C-R-A-I-G-C-A-S-S-E-Y. Great. Well, I'm very grateful for you to be here. And thanks for sharing your tale of woe with us. Um, I'm very, very delighted to have our uh, first guest with us today. Uh, I've wanted to find out more about the Neuro Leadership Institute for some time. Patricio Ramal is the Director of Education for North America, a facilitator with the Neuro Leadership Institute. Got more than 24 years of combined experience in consulting leadership and management in highly demanding and performance-driven organizations. He's worked in the corporate world for such organizations as Procter & Gamble and Coca-Cola, Saatchi and & Saatchi, and lots of different countries. He's also uh, was originally in the part-time faculty position when he was a young man at the age of 24 in top universities in the United States, including Parsons School of Design and uh, schools in Mexico and Puerto Rico that I won't offend people by trying to pronounce. Uh, Certified in the foundations of neuroleadership, brain-based coaching, and being a facilitator across the world in the United States, Mexico, and South America, we're delighted to welcome to our microphones for the first time, Patricio Ramal. Hello. Hey, Christopher. Thank you, Christopher. And uh, Craig, I can relate to your story. Uh, well, first time I coming through clearly. Mm. Audibly, yes. Awesome. Little um, bit, little bit faint for me, but you know, I'm an older person than Craig. <laughs> I was stranded in, uh, yeah, not in a trip not long ago, uh, and the airline was American Airlines, but I have to give like credit to them because it wasn't their fault. Uh, it was the uh, the syndicate of teachers in Oaxaca. They decided to take over the airport. Wow! And um, and we couldn't get out. Uh, we actually had to get somebody to drive us to Mexico City from Oaxaca so that we can then reroute our flights out of Oaxaca from Mexico City. So it's one of those uh, adventures in, uh, in Mexico. But if you've ever been there, you, you know, you learn to expect the unexpected. I think that you're so generous, both of you, in your experience, because I would be blaming, I would be yelling, I would be making everybody wrong, you know, and uh, so <clears throat> I can see that I have some work to do. Uh, a lot of brain-based coaching came to us first through the writings of David Rock. Are you familiar with that, Patricio? Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, the uh, the institute was was founded out of the out of the coaching space. So we are um, the New Leadership Institute. We're twenty three year organization by now. So it was founded in nineteen ninety eight, and it was born as a coaching organization uh, through this brain brain based coaching program. Uh, it used to be results coaching system not long ago, and it evolved since then to just be a really bang-based approach to coaching, which is uh, sort of uh, David Rock's Dave, uh, you know, uh, child, and, and David and Lisa Rock, uh, the co-founders of the company. And where have you taken it from there? I mean, that's, the, that's some foundational work that was done, and I assume very important. But tell us about the neurally, like, <laughs> I'm going to learn to say it sooner or later. Neuro Leadership Institute's work these days. Yeah, uh, yeah. I also find it hard to like. It doesn't roll off my tongue as easily. Uh, and so, we're now evolved to what we call the science-based consultancy firm. And uh, the the vision overall is making organizations more humans through science. And so, as 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 David is started exploring 
sort of the organizational development space and the human development space starting to look at, well, what is it, what are those foundations that are, that we can use to sort of understand human behavior in a different way? He started sort of uh, looking at science and looking at research and looking at uh, different fields. And that's when, you know, maybe in the exactly in the late 90s, neuroscience started to emerge as a little bit more of a, of a, of a field due to like the advances in technology. So we were now able to look at the brain. And so the, the Institute has evolved from there to really, you know, help organizations with talent strategies across uh, many realms, but just always having that science uh, backing. And so in a lot of the challenges, uh, you know, we, we like to say that we solve organizational people challenges. And so in a lot of those challenges, when we look at industries or challenges that we haven't been able to solve in many, many years, well, we always have this assumption, well, something's wrong, maybe at, all the way back to the biological level. And so we deconstruct the issues all the way back to, well, how does the brain actually work when you know, it's faced with bias? Or how does it work when it's actually trying to get to insight? Or how does the brain work when it's trying to you know, have a more impactful conversation, whatever that might be, and then build, rebuild the strategies from the biology. And so that's what we've been doing for probably the last seven to eight years that we've sort of shifted from just coaching to more of a science-based consultancy. Does that make sense? Patricio, oh, completely. Uh, at least for me. Christopher, you can put in if you're <laughs> not tracking along, but Patricia, you mentioned uh, how the brain works with bias and how you as an organization support that. And, and one of the stands, it sounds like your organization takes is helping people master inclusion or the habits of inclusion or the work of inclusion, which in today's world, DEI is, is evolving. I think many of us are still actually grasping it. Just what can it look like? Does it mean? So from your perspective, what, what really is inclusion and how do we do it from a brain-based coaching perspective? Yeah, um, DI is, is one of our uh, fastest growing areas as you can imagine and due to you know, you know, not only just recent events, but really around how we've been approaching this. And the first time we looked at bias, uh, we actually got it wrong. We developed a model that was trying to codify the all of the biases, right? And, and if you look at any any research out there, you might find anywhere from 100 to you know, 200 different biases. And, and so we're trying to say, like, this is just too complex to be able to say, you know, learn these biases and then try not to do them, right? And so we, we took a stab at trying to help the whole bias and inclusion uh, field from a, from a bias mitigation perspective, right? Because our approach around um, what we do is just up around behavior change, right? If we can't get people... If you can't get people to change their behavior, then really nothing's possible with an organization change. So you really have to look at what are the habits that are driving the behaviors. And the... so when we looked at bias, uh, the big insight around um, bias that allowed us to develop a model that's actually helping mitigate bias is that it's, bias is an unconscious process in the brain, right? And bias works different biases work differently in the brain. So while you might be able to mitigate one with certain strategy, that strategy is going to be completely ineffective in, meeting, in mitigating other categories. And so when we went back to look at how does 
unconscious bias operating in the brain, then we were able to say, oh, these are the structures that are related to the different types of biases, and then you can actually work to mitigate. But the, we use a, a, a common phrase that is, you know, if you have a brain, you have bias, right? It's just an inherent part of how the brain works. And if you've read, you know, Thinking Fast and Slow by Neil Kahneman, uh, that's sort of the work that, that, that you know, sprung all of this uh, thinking around, you know, your brain is great at categorizing because that's how it survives best and is able to navigate the world really, really efficiently. I mean, that might be the, the bumper sticker <laughs> for today's podcast. If you have a brain, you have bias. And when I hear bias, I think I first go to the DEI space, but I also imagine working in these bigger corporations who are also really striving for impact. There are probably biases around what opportunities or what leaps they're willing to take in changing marketplaces and whatnot. Um, so from, from your organizational perspective, what, what are some of those conversations that enable these companies to meet their bias and pivot in a way that's actually more in alignment with their success, their initiatives, all of it? Definitely. The, 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 the work many organizations have started with is really around the business case of, of diversity and inclusion and, and what the, uh, what the impact of that is. And so as, as research has become more available in terms of it's really, a, it's really good business sense, right? It's not just the right thing to do, uh, but it's also good business sense. And so when companies have looked at those two things, it's like, okay, we want to do, some companies say, we want to do the right thing. And some companies say, oh no, we want to have, you know, we want to improve our bottom line, whether through innovation, through, you know, um, creativity, whatever that might be, because diversity impacts in many different realms. Then they're saying, okay, well, how do I do that? And then what has been really helpful in opening the conversation is this non-judgmental approach to bias in terms of, well, that's your brain, right? And so when you start telling people, you know, if you have, if you have a brain, you have bias, and, and people start to understand the research around that, then all of the guardrails around, I'm a bad person, I'm a biased person, whatever, come down. And you're allowed to have a, a, a better conversation around, this is just part of being human. Like that's the fact that you, you know, the fact that you're gonna make decisions based on your biases on like maybe 90% of your decisions, it's a great thing, right? That's a great thing because that's what allows you to navigate your world in the most seamless way possible. Now there's going to be 10% of your decisions, maybe, that then you do need to stop to check for bias, right? It's not all of the decisions that. And so having this conversation around bias isn't bad. Bias is a, is a thing that just we operate on. Uh, it's about the decision making that's important. And when those decisions have a long tail, then you might want to, you know, think about stopping and checking for biases. You want to follow up, Mr. Cassie, or shall I jump in? Go for it. There's so much deliciousness in that, especially the good business and doing the right thing. I'm, uh, I'm wanting to go back though to a little more basic question if that's okay patricio of the, course the audience for us is mostly coaches right and you you came around and said hey we're a science-based consultancy firm will you will you elaborate a little bit more on how 
coaching works with the work you do at NLI. It's a neuro leader. <laughs> I'm just never going to do it. We're just going to call it NLI, NLI, which stands for Neuro Leadership Institute. I can say it. There we go. Um, how does coaching work and how do you how do you relate to coaching inside of your consultancy? That is an awesome question. Because um, and I only realized this a, a few years after working in an organization because I saw how our coaching methodology sort of seeps in into everything that we do. Uh, we, we actually don't call our uh, consultancy, like consultancy service, we call them thinking partnerships. And the reason we call them thinking partnerships is because we use this brain-based approach to insight in the way that we work with clients. So ultimately, the core of our coaching method is how do we give the coaches a process that aids in creating insight for the coaching. It's all about mining for insight. And it's exactly the same thing that we do with organizations. We want, we want to bring our science expertise and our sort of methodology expertise, but there's no way that we're ever going to be an expert on the organization, right? They're the experts on their organization. They're the experts on their culture. And what we do is mine what is already in their brain and it's already their knowledge. And we just, through this thinking partnership process, we create insight for them. And there's a whole, I can get into like a whole explanation of why insight is so important, but that's basically, if you look at our coaching part and if you look at our thinking partnership part is what are the insights that are coming out of this conversation? So is it important, do you think, for your team or for for maybe consultants generally, to have our thinking partners, which I definitely need one of, uh, to have coach training, to have coaching skills? All of our employees take our brain-based conversation skills or brain-based coaching certificate program, yes. Because the it's about learning to create the space where insight can happen. Because you can unconsciously or just by you know your own uh, uh, you know, previous methods, whatever, interfere with actually how to, how does the brain create insight? And so if you look at the methodology, it's really about just how to create conditions for insight in the brain. Tricio, I am loving this first off, and I'm so curious. So I, you know, backgrounds ontological coaching, my scientific background, I studied positive psychology and taught it for five years. And one thing I'm really curious about is what what is the difference as you see it from the you know neuro side of coaching compared to these other ones, and and what is some of the the gems that we might want to get as coaches who could look for further education in the work that y'all do? Definitely, um, the difference is the 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 focus uh, the focus that the coach places on the process and all of and all of the different, so we, we, we have some theoretical foundations that are gonna help the coach understand, well, why does the brain need these conditions for insight? And so we talk a lot about the brain's organizing principle and you know, threat and reward and those type of things. And then we use, you probably heard this from David Rock, the SCARF model, which identifies social domains that unconsciously create threat or reward, et cetera. So once you have those, those uh, theoretical foundations, then really our focus is just what are those skills that you need that create the space for the brain to have insight? And um, in, 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 a, in a lot of ways, um, 
I don't know if I can say this on the podcast. I'll use another word, but I, I call it the oh crap moment instead of using the S word. I'll just call it the oh crap moment. Hey, there's no need for that kind of language, mister. Because <laughs> what, what happens in our programs uh, and you sit there and, and it's very counterintuitive the way we do the, the coaching because you don't ask about the problem. Uh, you, in fact, the less you know about the person's problem, the more you're able to focus on process and really get them to think uh, and create the space for insight. And so when you sit back and you're, and you're looking at this methodology saying like, this just doesn't really, you know, I don't know how this could ever work if I don't know anything about the problem, right? I need some details about these problems that my coachee has. But when you, when you sort of trust the process and then you realize that it's so effective at creating insight, it happened to me and a lot of people that I've talked to in, in our programs, there's always this, oh crap moment where it's like, I've been doing this wrong for however many years. So for me, it was like, oh, I've been doing this wrong for 15 years, right? I was like, was that mind blowing? And you'd sort of get that moment was like, oh. And then you, you build back from there and, and, and you start thinking, it's not about the problem. It's not about me. It's about the other person in the process. And so it's a mindset shift. Do you have a follow-up, Craig, or you want me to grab it? You can grab it. I mean, I'm just checking out the SCARF model. And what really hits me over here about it is we talk, at least in the, the ICF coaching world, about the importance of holding space and the impact of being. And this sounds like a whole nother approach to it. And people, new coaches especially, hear about what it means to show up with the being of a coach. Sometimes it feels very out there. You know, what does that mean? A lot of our performance contexts are turned on and we're trying to act like a coach. This sounds like a really uh, scientifically grounded way to actually understand how to create space for someone to be coached, to lean into their own process, their own mastery. And if anything, it feels like we get to really take our hands off the steering wheel with permission from the SCARF method. Definitely. That's, I think, you know, in, in a way, you're working, this kitchen, well, I'm not going to be doing anything. A lot of the coaches get that initial reaction. Like, well, if I use this, I'm not going to be doing anything. And no, I mean, you're actually working really hard, but on a different thing. So you're not working hard on trying to solve the coach's problem or advise them or, you know, use some of these questions that we call them, like questions dressed up as suggestions, right? You're asking these questions. Uh, no, you're actually focusing on the process and you're, you're, you're working hard at that because your brain is going to try to rearrange you towards that problem solution mindset, right? And so you are working hard. It's just that you're working hard on uh, as a coach on a different uh, realm, which is what you said, like holding that space where the thinking can happen. Well, if everybody doesn't steal quidgestions immediately, that's the best thing I've heard in a long time. Um, quidgestions, nice. All right, so, so you've, people who, who are trained with you, have this experience, this oh crap moment of, oh, I've been doing it wrong all this time, right? Because we've been trying to solve people's problems or get in there with more details or something and not creating the space for uh, their their own insights. Is that, am I picking up what you're laying down? That's it, that's perfect. Okay, so tell us this. Coaches around the world are currently listening, or at least three, and um, they're, I wanna know what we're doing wrong. If you could wave your magic wand based on the information and training that you've done, and have us all as coaches stop doing something or start doing something else. What's the what's the first thing you'd have us do, take on or 
or leave behind in our approach? I think it's that that is that problem solution uh, model. So we have a little we have a little framework that we call the TAPS model, and the TAPS model is just a representation of like the two by two axes. So mm -hmm. it's tail, everybody's got one, yeah, exactly. Like tail ask problem solution, right? So like on the vertical, you'll have tail ask and then problem solution, and on the like the bottom left quadrant, you have that tail solution uh, piece, right? And so. Uh, Sorry, that that the ask that's that telling the problem solution, right? And so you're telling them things about the problem rather than asking about the solutions, right? And so the first thing we always uh, teach our coaches is you need to learn when to shift into a coaching conversation. So when you're going to switch to the the ask solutions quadrant of the model, because you're going to be asking about solutions, because that is what actually helps creates the space for thinking. Uh, and so there's two really quick questions that we use there to get you into knowing when you uh, need a coaching conversation more than telling people what to do. And one of them is, is this an emotionally charged topic for you? Right? As soon as this is an emotionally charged topic, you might start thinking like, okay, this might be more of a coaching conversation than I'm gonna tell you what to do. And then the second one is, is there more than one solution right because if somebody asks you for the combination of the locker you're not going to coach them into a conversation into a combination but if they ask you i don't know about you know go about this you know strategy for my business i'm trying to increase revenue and i don't know about the strategy. and so that can have many many different solutions and it actually might be a very emotionally charged topic because he might be an entrepreneur who's struggling with his finances right and so as soon as you hear those Two things. And then the third one is around responsibility. Like who needs to own the actions coming out of this? And if it's the coachee who needs to own that, then you're definitely in a coaching conversation completely. And so as soon as you transition to that quadrant, then you forget about the problem. You forget about uh, the details of the problem and you start going into um, thinking questions, right? Like what is your thinking process? Because our definition of coaching is facilitate positive change by improving people's thinking. That's how we define coaching. Uh, you know, you're facilitating change by focusing on how people, not what they're thinking, but how they're thinking. And this really lends itself to agility is what I'm hearing. You know, it sounds like a lot of people, you have a, you know, professional partner comes in for a meeting related to themselves as having a problem. And if we just spoke to that problem, they might not create the same kind of progress or growth compared to using your model, which is really how can we shift their brain, their approach, so that no matter what other problems come down the pipeline, you know they're actually going to be better off. There's a, there's an interesting paradox with the with insight because uh, one of the conditions for insight is not thinking directly about the problem. Uh, and we use this analogy a lot in terms of like, when do you have your best ideas? Uh, I mean, I mean, oh, Christopher, correct. Like if you, you know, if I have an example of like when good ideas pop in your head. Like, uh, At the airport in Orlando, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> right, a lot of people, you know, at the shower, running, driving, uh, sleeping is a very calm. And so what happens is the, the focus on problem because problems or threats creates noise in the brain. 
And as soon as you create noise in the brain, you start moving away from the conditions for insight. And, and, and so the problem-focused approach is always noisy for the brain. And so you don't allow the space to, but it's very counterintuitive, right? It's very paradoxical. Like, how am I going to solve a problem if I'm not thinking directly about the problem? Well, you've done it all your life. Like, those are the insights that you have in the shower. Those are the insights that you have while driving. Those are the insights you have in a random conversation with your spouse or with your kids. All of a sudden, that's the, what we call the aha moment. It's like, oh. And you were miles away from maybe that business strategy that you were trying to solve so intently an hour before, right? It's such a, uh, it's so interesting because it's so, it's so resonant, right? We've all had those, you know, we're not doing anything at all, playing a game or something. And then all of a sudden the aha moment comes. Do you uh, feel like you have techniques or approaches that, that create those or are they still more or less, um, you know, gifts from the universe, right? Or, or completely unpredictable moments? Or is there some way I can dial this in if I take the right supplements or, you know, do the right handstand in yoga or something? There, there's actually a lot of science behind this. And that's, that's why this methodology can be so effective because there are four conditions that create insight in the brain. So one of them is not, the one I just talked about, is not about the, uh, you know, not thinking directly about the problem. But it has to be slightly positive. So if you think about that threat reward space, you know, you're you can't be too excited because on the, on both of the spectrums of the threat and reward, you make back decisions, right? If you're in a you know threat state, you're gonna make bad decisions. But if you're in a reward state, say you're you know, you're winning at blackjack in Vegas and you're completely excited, you're gonna make bad decisions there as well. And so you <laughs> and I have, Craig. We, I that, think we I all think have. what he's telling you is calm down. That's what he's telling you. <laughs> and then you're excited that you think you figured out the game. And then 30 minutes later, you're broke again, right? Because so at the both ends of the spectrum, we make like bad decisions. So you have to be sort of neutral, slightly positive. The brain has to be inward looking. And so it's those sort of reflection moments, daydreaming, that type of thing. And then it has to be quiet. So it's quiet, inward looking, not focusing directly on the problem, and then slightly neutral to positive. And so when you, when you, we use what we call the dance of insight. Uh, we have a little process where through a series of steps, and that's why we call it the dance, it's a little cheesy, but bear with me here. <laughs> through those little steps, you start creating the space where the brain starts to be quiet, the brain starts to you know, look, and you'll see it on the coach's reaction. Right? You'll see it when you ask the question, you know, their eyes will go sort of back and up or down, and then you see that. And so we have a little, uh, model there, the faces, of the faces of insight. So you can actually see the moment a person has an insight. Uh, and so by using the dance of insight through this sort of repeated process, you're able to create those conditions for people where it's a lot more likely that they'll have an insight. And so yeah, you can create those conditions for yourself personally. Definitely. Thanks. I can I can see Craig trying to calm himself down right now. I can see that. What do you got? Man? I just well now. First off, love to dance and love the idea of faces of insight. I imagine. Do you remember growing up those emotional face charts we all seem to have in school? This is the angry face. This is the happy face. This is the apathetic. I want food face. <laughs> I'm just imagining how nice it would be to have one of those in my office just for my own amusement. The faces of insight my clients make, especially the ones where they feel flustered on their way to a breakthrough. <laughs> now, I'm curious, since 
the people who who go to your your programs um who specifically are attending who do you recommend is uh you know this program is made for definitely so for those coaches listening we do we, we that's one of our main um per, you know market participants that's is people that are either transitioning into a career as coaches or you know wanting to improve their uh coaching skills because they want different sort different types of clients or the leaders in organizations that are going to be part-time or full-time coaches. Uh, and so that's a big market. And then the other is just leaders within organizations that want to that that want to take more of a coaching approach to their leadership style. And so those are the main two uh, groups that we, we constantly see in our in our programs. Uh, it sounds like for for managers in particular, this would be really powerful work, and it probably is the kind of work that shifts the culture, not just those one to one interactions with the people they they oversee. Um, for the managers who do come, what what are some of the impacts they report back? I imagine you hear from them a few months, year or two after. Like what what are the breakthroughs they're creating in their organizations where not everybody else has taken this program as well? Definitely. Well, one is the, the one of the funky things that happens with a scarf model is that it becomes a, a verb, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm 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 feeling scarfed, right? And and so I'll I'll explain a little bit what the scarf model is because it's we unconsciously or consciously can trigger a threat and reward state through these five domains, and scarf stands for these five domains, which is status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. And so as we as we unconsciously sort of trigger some of these, you know, domains, I might be a very certainty driven person. And, you know, as a manager, you may call me into the office and say, well, you know what, I need this delivered by tomorrow, go. And the person that, you know, it's very certainty driven will, will just completely be on a threat state. Like, what do you mean? What do I have to do? Like, what are the details? You know, do you, do you need a first and a second draft before the final draft? And so let go into this spin wheel of certainty while the, while the manager might be very autonomy driven. So for the manager who's very autonomy driven is like, this is the goal, go do it. For the person that's very autonomy, certainty driven will go, I'm freaking out. Cause what is gonna happen between this and this, like there are all these little steps in between, like I need more direction, right? And so when you start understanding these domains, you can start to, mostly around language, like you can start addressing people differently because you might know that they are very, status driven or they're very certainty driven and so you might want to provide a little bit more of a context or detail in terms of what you're asking them to do even the way you ask for a meeting right if i go if i walk into your office and say craig can i see you in my office in five minutes and i'm your boss like what's the first thing that comes to your mind well i guess i can't say what the first thing is but oh crap <laughs> i'll be the second <laughs> exactly like, what did i do i'm going to be fired like what because that's how the brain responds. The, the brain is, is, the brain has a bias towards threat. But if you come and say, uh, Craig, you know, I need to talk to you about a project that I am, you know, that I'm with, and, you know, I need 10 minutes with you, you know, when is a good time for you, right? Like just that little change in language, it just triggered all positive scarf uh, domains, right? Because I'm giving you status, right? I'm asking you, I'm your boss, so there's immediate, there's immediate status to it, but I'm asking you what works for you. So I'm, 
you know, I'm building some relatedness because I'm respect, respecting, you know, the fact that, you know, you know, that just because I'm your boss, I'm not ordering you around, whatever. I'm respecting your autonomy because I'm asking what worked best for you and not just, you know, coming to my office in five minutes, right? It's like, wait, I'm working on something important. And so it's these little things that we do constantly that we don't, uh, we don't realize we're just triggering. And so to managers and leaders, it immediately becomes a verb and they'll be like, oh, I was scarfed by that, right? And so now they have a common language to, to say, oh, tell me more. Like, oh, you know, the way you said that just really triggered my autonomy. Before, before we move this on from this topic, I want to find out if you can tell from, from our conversation so far what you think Craig's is and what you think mine is. Or should we figure out our own? Uh, our own driver. I'll... Think, but, but yeah, but but you think, yeah, yeah, you think about, yeah, we, a lot of people do in, uh, have some preferences. And so, yeah, I'd love to hear what you think yours are. I'll, I'll make a guess of myself and then see if I got it right. Okay, great. What do you think? Do you want to go first, Craig, or second? Oh, I definitely know. I also know my past partners, though. That's what's been most fun for me. So a lot of them, what is it? If I'm the autonomy one and I trigger the hell out of them, they are the certainty kind of people. Yes. I love love texting a partner being like hey i want to chat because to me <laughs> i operate in the positive and i just have assumptions based on what those conversations look like and in every relationship i've ever had there's always been that like hump where it takes three of those let's chat and it's a positive conversation to train my partner and not entering a fierce space but maybe i just need to add a few more things for my relationship couples my coach who are going to listen to this consider <laughs> One of you might be more into autonomy. One of you might need certainty. Maybe bend a little, give each other what they need. <laughs> and it, they're both strengths, people. One of you is not wrong, right? I love that, Craig. Thanks so much for that. Although, um, you know, and I'm, and I'm struggling, I gotta say, because uh, certainty, I'm not so good with the details. Social, I don't enjoy the people. Related, again, don't enjoy the people. Autonomous, maybe but i'm hoping maybe i'm fairness driven i don't really know that sounds that sounds like a good thing yeah it oh. is uh yeah and 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 it's it, fairness is one of those tricky but but it turns out that our brain does have a mechanism for fairness uh, built in and so they've done some research research where uh, it's called the ultimatum game and they just basically hand out money to one person uh, i'll give you a hundred dollars and then that person decides how much they want to give to a stranger. And based on that, the stranger can say whether they'll keep it or not, right? Yeah. So from a rational point of view, you'll say, well, you know, if Christopher gets $100 and decides to give Craig one, well, that's more, that's one more dollar than I had, you know, a minute ago. And so I'll take it, right? But it turns out, no, it turns out people, anything less than like about $20 will reject the offer because they feel it's unfair. Even though like if there's they didn't get yeah, they didn't do anything for the money. It's just like a random thing where I'm getting so if I get $10, I'm great cuz I it's $10 I didn't have before, but no. People would rather reject the offer and not get less than $20 uh, because the catch is the other person doesn't get anything either. Right? And so we have this fairness compensating mechanism where okay, if you're not being fair to me, I'd rather not get anything but you also get anything. And that way you, you'll sort of learn to be fair, right? There's all these what? little, 
Yeah. <laughs> what a fun game to play, Christopher. What do you think? <laughs> we yeah, it's called the, uh, yeah, it's called the ultimatum game. If you look, if you Google it, you'll find the uh, the results. They've done all sorts of variants uh, on the ultimatum game, but we do have this fairness and. And it's not equal, right? That's the important thing about I'm sharing about fairness. It's not a 50-50 thing, right? And so, you know, I have a relationship with a friend, you know, he calls me five times and I call him one and, and it's a good balance for him, right? Like that's a good balance for a friend. But I have other friends that has to be one-on-one, right? Like their fairness is more of a, oh, I've called you three times and you've only called me one and they're, you know, psyched up about that. I was like, hey, like, because to me, it's sort of like, you know, the perception of, exchange is, is fair, but to them is, it isn't. And so it's a perception of fair exchange. It's not actually just 50-50. And so that's where the nuances come in with these, uh, with these models. But um, if you ever had, a, if you ever had a, a partner that doesn't like surprises. Ever? Certain, yes. Exactly, you have a certain teacher in person, right? You're trying to take her to a surprise dinner and she's freaking out because like, how am I gonna dress? Where are you gonna go? How far is it? Like, you know, do I need to wear a formal, casual? And then all of a sudden, what was going to be a surprise turns into the fight. There you have a certainty-driven person. And somehow the, the fight is never a surprise. Uh, there's so many good things from this already. So I want to go back because you were talking about the faces of insight. And I was like, okay, so now we've got O faces, we've got I faces. But you're also pointing to, like, there's faces of unfairness, right? Aren't there faces that when you're, or when you're, the autonomy certainty thing uh, come into play? Aren't there faces that you know, Craig, from your partner where it's like, oh, we're, we're about to get into this. <laughs> oh, there's a tone. All right. The, um, the, I, I didn't hear what you said, but I assume. I always oh, assume. It, there's, there's a tone and there's, there's more facial expressions than Botox alone can handle. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, we'll talk skincare next time, kids, on the coaching <laughs> Um, uh, the, but I love this ultimatum game. I also want to say, Craig, just for our relationship, our budding friendship here is that um, if I had $100, I would then ask you for another dollar. So that's how the fairness piece works. Be, You'd be um, expected. <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh, I'm not sure that that was me. How, did, how, was, your, uh, how was your guess, Patricio? How did you, how'd you do? Yeah, I would definitely guess Craig at autonomy. Right. Uh, and then uh, you, I would put it to uh, relatedness uh, in terms because yeah, you're the host of the podcast. And so, but fairness seems also uh, a good fit for you. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm somewhere on the, on the weirdo end of the scale. I get it. Yeah. Not certainty because oh. you have to be very uh, agile and adaptable in these sort of uh, circumstances, right? In this pocket. And so, yeah, I can see you not needing a lot of certainty because then you can, you know, sort of riff on whatever I'm saying. And if I say, like a really crappy thing, they, you know, you won't panic and you just sort of go with the flow. And so definitely certainty, I don't see it. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think you should test that by starting to say just crappy stuff from now on. So, yeah. <laughs> just see. see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I noticed that uh, as our time is is flying by here, I noticed that I've got a thousand questions. So I know Craig, Craig does too, but I'm taken by this thing behind you. It looks very, I mean, Craig's got the bar behind him, which is very on brand. I've got some art behind me and, and credentials. Um, but what is this thing behind you? And, and if people are listening, I'm sorry, you can't see it. It's, it's quite um, well-organized. It's my brain on index cards. And so 
and this is yeah this is when i started understanding a little bit about uh, like neuroscience just how the brain works uh, especially around creative process because your brain is gonna just throw things at you when you least expect them and so for people that are trying to find sort of like oh this is my creative space the brain doesn't really work that way and so what i ended up working on was i'll just scatter index cards all over my house and then if i'm reading a novel all of a sudden an insight popped up, but I'm, but I'm reading, I want to continue to read, but then I would forget either the insight or, I, and then, so I just have to stop reading, go and capture the insight. And then, and so I was like, no, I need to be able to compartmentalize my time to do the things that I enjoy. Like I'm cooking. I can't just leave the cooking there because I need to write this idea or this thought or this insight. And so what ended up happening was I just put index cards all over my house. And then so every time these insights pop up, I just write them down. And, the, and I don't have to interrupt whatever I'm doing, but I don't lose the idea. And then once kinda, a week- Kind of like me with-, with Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then just once a week, I just come and organize it in the back because some thoughts are related to projects. So this is a project right here. And so I'll just- put them in the folder of that project because it's an idea of the pop. So it's just a way of capturing the wilds of my imagination. It feels very similar to like design thinking processes. And I know you you used to work in design spaces, maybe design labs, but we always talk about the process of like exploration, expansive thinking and dumping when inspiration hits you. So I love the idea of actually having a place to collect it. My partner might not like. <laughs> all those cards floating around. Maybe I'll get a small pocketbook that I can like write in briefly when they arise. That's exactly. he's much more clean than that. <laughs> yeah, no, they're like, they're all over. Like so it's, it's just index cards just all over the place, but it works for me, so. Craig, did you want to take it or I got, I got, a, I got a million more questions. Well, I'm curious. So I know there's a future event on the precipice at the turn of the year. There's a, a summit coming up, correct? For people who might be interested in experiencing this, I don't know, is it a digital and personal summit? What What is the upcoming experience people might want to take Yes, part so we moved it, we moved it to virtual uh, due to, you know, COVID and um, those uh, travel restrictions and whatnot. And we did that last year and it turned out really well. And so we decided to do it again this year. Uh, we're pushing back to February. We usually had it in November. Uh, it was our yearly summit. And, and the purpose of that summit is to present the research and the sort of HR trends that we've been uh, looking at and then how to address them from a research perspective. So what happens at the summit is a collaboration between organizations, researchers, and us in presenting how we've you know, been able to create change at scale, you know, in organizations of a thousand people, how we've been able to improve you know, diversity and whatever. So we, we are divided into three areas. It's, you know, an area of practice, we call them practice areas. One is diversity and inclusion, the other one's performance, and then the other one's culture and leadership. And so looking at those three verticals, then we just come up with, this is what, you know, the latest science and the latest research is telling us about how to improve performance, how to increase engagement, how to, uh, there's a big um, topic now on the great resignation, right? And so how to address um, this whole thing. And it's basically for autonomy, right? If you look at the great resignation through the lens of SCARF, it has a lot to do with autonomy and how 
companies that are actually forcing people, right? Anything, anytime that you force people to do something, the brain just goes, uh-oh, autonomy threat, not liking this. And so a lot of the great resignation has to do with very little autonomy. And probably loss of relatedness, right? Because we're all locked away. Uh, you know, it's been, it's been hard for many people. Yeah, a lot of people used to say out loud that they were in their job because of, you know, somebody or people that they worked with as opposed to the job itself. And without that, that makes an excellent point, I think. So this is coming up in February. It's the Neuro Leadership Summit. And how do we find more? Do you, is it still open for registration? Do you want more people to come? Yes, it is still open for registration. Summit.neuroleadership.com. Uh, I think it's the 15th and the 16th of February. Uh, it's fully virtual. Uh, and anyone in the anyone in the uh, you know coaching or management leadership space is, is welcome. We get yeah. There's a wide variety of of uh, even researchers, people that are just interested in well, how how do we how do we work and and how how do we actually think as humans? And so uh, it's one of my favorite uh, parts of working in this organization, just attending the summit and learning for two days. Well, I'm going to sign up. I want to geek out to this. This is a great. <laughs> preview to that conversation and I want more Patricio so thank you for sharing that opportunity with us <laughs> I also want to acknowledge Craig that as you when you lean into the camera I can see that you really do have great skin nice job well done we, we really will have that show on skincare it's um, the coaching it helps us glow give, yeah. give us a tip <laughs> give us a tip <laughs> not how I do it <laughs> oh, sorry Patricio got me uh, with the with the dabbing uh, <laughs> Not that. Um, Patricio, uh, here's what I want to ask you. It's actually a pretty good question, if I can get it out. Um, you're the guy who's in charge of education at the Neuro Leadership Institute. See, I'm getting better. Um, so what you, what you do is you're in charge of educating people on brain-based coaching, I'm assuming. Is there brain-based education? Are you using brain-based education principles even as you're educating people on this? Uh, yes, and there's there's a paper is actually quite public and I'm happy to sort of send it as a follow-up, uh, but you'll probably come up with it if you just Google it. Uh, we call it the AGES model of learning. And AGES stands for attention, generation, emotion, and spacing. And it's four attributes that contribute to a great learning experience. Uh, so attention is all about how you actually can generate attention because if you, know, if you don't pay attention to it, you're not gonna learn it. But then generation speaks about if you generate your own learning and your own content around what you just paid attention to, the learning is improves, right? Emotion, very important in learning. So how do you, how do you tie learning to emotions, whether it's positive or negative? Uh, the, the, we, we all remember the day we were, you know, where we were at, you know, 9-11. We all do because it's a very powerful negative emotion that anchors the memories in the brain. And so we can all say, I was driving or I was, you know, sitting, having caught, whatever that was when you found out because it's so emotionally charged that you, you know, it sticks in, in your brain. And so when you generate experiences that have emotions, learning happens. And then spacing is very important. So you learn better if you need to study for two hours, you learn better if you do one hour sleep and do the other hour, or even take a five minute break or a 15 minute break than if you do two hours in a row. And so the way we space out our, our um, learning is respecting that the brain has a limited capacity where it's going to reach diminishing returns and 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 then coming back to learning later actually helps with mostly for long long-term 
learning, right? Things that you want to remember long-term. If you want to pass a test, you know, the cramming strategy the night before works perfectly. What's going to happen is that three days later, you're not going to remember a single thing. Uh, and so ages is about long term learning. And we use that model to design our programs. But don't put down that cramming stuff because that's how I got through college. So we're going to. So did I. Exactly. And it, and it works perfect. But if you ask me, like, well, what was that? You know, I don't remember a thing. <laughs> well, gosh, our time has it's been so valuable right up until the last moment here. And uh, I know that uh, Craig needs to jump. Uh, and I'm very grateful for you being here. Uh, Craig Cassie, you can find him on the uh, the internet. I understand it's very popular at craigcassie.com. Is that true? C-R-A-I-G-C-A-S-S-E-Y.com? You got it. Or that plus J-R for Instagram. That's where you get daily content, IG lives, conversations about things we talk about here and how they apply to your sex life too. So. Yeah, a lot of brain-based sex is how I, never mind. Um, thank you very <laughs> Looking much. <that> up right <laughs> now. <laughs> thank you very much, Craig, for being with us today. And if you have to jump, you have to jump. Meanwhile, Patricio, what a privilege, what a delight to have this conversation. And I want to give you sort of the last word here. So do you have a, a parting thought or a parting shot you'd like to share with a few listeners? Um, I mean, the, the, the reason I got involved with the uh, Institute in the, in the first place because, was because I was a participant uh, first. So I found out about their program through a coach actually uh, many, many years ago. And she said, well, this is an organization that's taking that science-based approach that you're looking for to sort of coaching because I was looking to get some coaching skills. And it just really shifted my, my perspective on what it means to be not only a coach, but, but a leader and a manager uh, in how to you know, solve for, what, what I think we're actually solving for is just engagement. Because when people have their own ideas, it's a lot more powerful. Like you can tell somebody a thing for two weeks and then two weeks later, they'll come and say, I just had this great idea. And they just repeat whatever you've been saying for two weeks. And you're like, I just told you that like you know, for the last two weeks, but until they have their own insight, it didn't click, right? And so to me, it's just changed my perspective on how to engage with people uh, that you're actually trying to develop and trying to, uh, and trying to help them develop their own potential. And so for me, it's been uh, really rewarding. So I'll, I'll leave with that thought. Uh, and maybe any questions that you may have, we have an email, it's education-NA, well, education-na at neuroleadership.com. Uh, so if okay, you have questions. We better, we better do that one more time because people, you know, they're writing or they're trying to figure it out. Of so course. education. Education dash, like middle dash, N-A, as in North America, N-A, at neuroleadership.com. And we have to spell it all out, N-E-U-R-O-L-E-A-D-E-R-S-H-I-P. Dot com, dot com just for exactly. anybody yeah who may not be i always tell them like just do the nli at the end like that that's too long but you know they don't listen to me so <laughs> i'm so sorry we'll talk more about the unfairness of your role i'm teasing exactly obviously i love that solving for engagement there's been so much value today and i cannot thank you enough for sharing all of your brilliance and your experience with us today that's patricio ramal um the uh the neuro leadership summit is in February of 2022, and you can go and find more information by going to summit 
neuroleadership, again, got to type it all out, dot com, summit.neuroleadership.com. Is that correct? That and, is. Um, and other than and that, we also boy, have a blog. We also have a blog. Uh, we do, we run, we run webinars on Fridays. They're free to attend. Wow. Uh, yeah. Some of those webinars, uh, you know, David Rock will be leading those webinars. And so there's a lot of resources on our website. If you're, you know, somebody curious about the space, if you're somebody into the science and uh, it's one of the things that I love about this organization, because we're not stingy with uh, sharing what we know and what we learn about, uh, you know, humans. That is, it is just so great to be with you. And thank you for being so generous with your time with us, but also so much information, so much available. I'm very excited about the summit and very excited to learn more by going to your website, neuroleadership.com. I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for the great work you've done. And thanks for that beautiful organized thing behind you. I'm, I'm very impressed and excited to consider creating my own. All right. My dear listener, that's another edition of The Coaching Show, where each week we bring you people out on the cutting edge, people you need to know about, or people who are just plain interesting in the field of coaching. I thank you for being with us. You can find it here on Accomplishment Media or wherever you find podcasts are available. Uh, my gratitude, my unending gratitude to Patricio Ramal and the fine folks at NeuroLeadership.com. And I thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.